I'm Nathan and I serve as the backstage manager at the Northwest Campus. There are some technical responsibilities such as sound check, some help with the equipment, but most of it's hospitality. Basically serve the worship team and the production team have everything there for them so that they can focus on being there for the congregation. So I want to remove whatever barriers they may have to doing that job. When my wife and I moved and we started attending Trader's Point, we would come in, hurry in, sit in the back, and hurry out. In 2020, when we had to switch to online, I thought I would enjoy not having the, the responsibility of needing to go to church. And in that time period, I'd really started to miss church. I missed being here. Finally, one morning, I just did it. I signed up to serve. I went to the production section, and I don't know why, but I thought that meant building things. I had my interview with Jack. He started going through the responsibilities of a backstage manager, and I said, you know, I think I made a mistake here. I'm probably gonna be more problem than help. And he's like, no, no, just come. So I tried it. Two years have passed and it's been the best decision I've made. You walk in and um, everybody's happy to be here. Everybody is joyful and um, encouraging and helpful. Even though they, they probably picked up really quick that I knew nothing about what was going on back there, they would stop what they were doing to help. Relationships started to form, and the church that was once so big just shrunk. I'm being used in a way that I never thought I would be, but it has turned out to be so worth it. I think the biggest barrier for people is that they want to serve in an area that they're already good at. Chances are you're probably good at a lot of things, and there is a fit for you here. Getting started is the most important thing. Traders Point, how we doing? So good to be with you, everyone watching online at the campuses. Welcome. And uh, before we get rolling uh, with the new series today, I just want to take a moment and to pray for our lead pastor. Uh, pastor Aaron mentioned last week that um, from now through the end of July, he's going to be on study break. And study break is something that our elders gift him. It's it's um, a time to refresh and refuel, but it's not necessarily time off. Really what he's going to be doing over these next few weeks is long-term sermon planning. So he's looking at the end of 2023 and into 2024 and asking God, where do you want to take us as a church? So as he's away planning and prepping and praying himself, I just thought let's take this moment and to lift him up in prayer. Would you, would you join us? Father, we come before you today and... Um, we just lift up 
Pastor Aaron. And God, I pray that over the next few weeks he's recharged and refueled. God, I pray that you give him wisdom and discernment. God, I pray that you lead him over the next few weeks. God, tell, tell him where you want him to lead us in this next season. And God, I pray that you give him the discernment and the courage to follow through. God, I pray that over the next few weeks, though, more than anything, he just finds his place in his sonship, that he finds his identity in you and that he is just overwhelmed by your love and your grace. Father, we love you. It's in your perfect and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just want to encourage you guys, continue to pray for him over the next few weeks. Um, but then as far as today goes, we are starting a brand new series called Summer Road Trip. And I know as I've been looking at that title, and maybe your brain has already been doing it as you walked in today, seeing the graphic, Road Trip. There's probably at least one in your head that you remember. A road trip that you remember because it went really, really well or not so well, right? Mine's probably the latter, okay? Uh, I remember when I was 21 years old, I went on a road trip. And that could tell you most of the problems that I experienced. But three of my friends come to me and they say, hey, we want to invite you on this road trip, but it's a little unique. And I said, okay, I'm all ears. Tell me about it. And they said, we're going to drive to Florida. That's pretty normal. Being from Indiana, we go there a lot and we usually drive. And I said, okay, I'm with you. And I said, here's the thing, though. We're not going to stay in a hotel. I said, okay, I'm intrigued. And this is the day before Airbnbs or anything like that, so that's not even an option. And we're not going to stay with family or friends. We're going to stay in an SUV. All of us in the same one. Me and these three other almost men, okay? And for some reason, I said yes. But here was the pitch. We're going to be able to see so much of Florida. Every night is going to be a new city. Every day, a new beach. I'm young. I'm dumb. I'm in. Let's go. What I did not think through was how horrible it would really be to stay in a vehicle with three other men for a week straight. I mean, it got bad, and I was uncomfortable. It was like a horrible, weird version of camping where you're sleeping outside. And even in Florida, it gets cold at night. I'm all stuffy and snotty and angry and smelly. And it's just like this is not what I had in mind. And finally, by the end of the week, I break. Like, I, I can't do it anymore. I cannot sleep in this SUV with these men another night. And at the time, we're camped out in Panama City Beach in a Walmart parking lot. And I get so frustrated that I just open the door, I slam it behind me, and I start walking towards Walmart. And I have one goal, find somewhere in here to sleep for the night. <laughs> and I walk in and I just look around and it's like a message from the heavens came to me, lawn and garden. Because I was thinking, Who's going to be looking for lawn and garden stuff in the middle of the night? Low traffic, right? Plus, there's those chairs that lay all the way back. I'll be able to lay down and get a good night's sleep. So I go in there. I find my chair. I take it all the way to the back, and I put it between two aisles, and I lay down, and I have the best night of sleep that I had the whole trip until I was rudely awakened by a guy who was taking his job just a little too seriously. All right, He's like screaming, you can't sleep here. I'm like, I did. Um... But we both agreed that I would leave before they called the cops. So that, that was the end of this trip. And I just want to say, 
This summer road trip is going to be nothing like that one, okay? But here's what we are going to be doing on this trip of sorts. We're going to be traveling together on this journey to really ask the question, what would it look like in this season to truly live on mission, to be the church, to intentionally be in relationships and love other people? And each week on this road trip, we're going to have some just pit stops along the way. And we're going to focus in on, on different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus, like hospitality and discipleship and telling the story and using your gifts. And each week, it's going to be very practical. What does this mean for us at a church? How do we live that out here? And what does it look like to live it out in our personal circles, our lives where we work and live as well. And each week we're just going to ask that question. What would that look like if we lived it out? And we're going to kick things off today with looking through the lens of hospitality. Hospitality. Maybe that sounds surprising to you. It's like, is, is hospitality really even in the Bible? Is that a biblical thing that we should be talking about? And it is, but I think the disconnect is when we talk about you know, hospitality, it's usually in a different way. Maybe when you think of hospitality, you think of like the perfect night, right? Perfectly orchestrated, the fine linens, the fine china, the perfectly curated playlist that's going on in the background, and everything goes off without a hitch. Like that was hospitality. But it's, that's not the picture that the, the Bible gives of, of hospitality, it's actually a very straightforward term that has a very specific meaning. So the word that we translate as hospitality, it comes from a Greek compound word called philoxenia. Philoxenia. And here's all that word means. It's two words pushed together. That first part, that PH, maybe you've noticed that before. It's a word for love. And like Philadelphia, right? So a city of brotherly love. And then on the back side, you have xenos which is the Greek word for stranger. So here's the concept of hospitality, that we are called to love the stranger, that I'm gonna take the love that is usually reserved for my family, my brothers and my sisters, and I'm gonna apply it to everyone, even strangers, even people that I've just met. And what's fascinating is maybe you've noticed this, but depending on the translation that your Bible's in, the word hospitality comes up quite a bit. Look at this in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And this is under the heading of marks of a true Christian. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And then look at this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We love that part, but look at the next verse. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, just had to slide that one in there, didn't they? Without grumbling. Like you've ever been invited to someone's house that they really didn't want you to be at? And you can tell. It's like usually, and sometimes it happens of like one spouse is excited that you're there and the other one's just finding out that you're coming for dinner. It's like, this is going to be great. No, this is, this is awesome. And you're there to, hey, how was the food? Everything good? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, could, I have, could I have another plate? It was, it was really good. And you, they don't say it, but you almost get the feel of like, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you can have seconds. I was going to eat this for lunch tomorrow. But no, 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 you take it now. Make sure you're nice and full. When are you leaving again? 
But it's this idea to practice hospitality without grumbling, that we're eagerly wanting to open up our households to other people. And I also know, what I've come to know, is that there is a specific gender who likes to downplay it or to say that, you know, hospitality really just isn't my gift. And the gender I'm talking about, it's men, okay? Um, And I will say this, if there was a competition between men and women with hospitality, who would win? Women for sure. But they would win most things, and that doesn't stop us from doing the things that we're called to do. That we are commanded to do this. And here's the other thing that I will say. Men are hospitable. They just have selective hospitality. They get super excited and they will tell strangers about things that they really care about. Have you, have you met these guys? Usually it's reserved for the backyard. Oh, if that back door opens and you step out into their paradise, they are going to tell strangers everywhere about what's going on. And it's usually two things, the grass and the grill. Like you're just standing back there talking like, hey, you're probably wondering how I get my grass to look like this. I was not. I, um, and they're talking about all these weights and different, I cut it like this on Tuesdays, on Fridays. I'm like, okay, this is nice. And then the grill. Oh, man. It's like, okay, so you, you probably noticed the grill. Once again, I did not. Uh, let me tell you about this, this brisket. I've been cooking it for 96 days, okay? And, um, you know, it really, you got to get all that in there. And you're like, okay, yeah, no, no, this is good. Um, thank you for sharing. But here's the thing. When the Bible commands something, there are some of us that are better gifted at hospitality, at loving the stranger. But when it's a command, we all got to figure out what that looks like for me and you and how we live that out. And hospitality is, is a really big deal. Do you know that it's even like a qualification for someone to be an elder or an overseer of a church? Like that's how serious hospitality is. Look at this in... Um, First Timothy, it says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It was a sign of Spiritual maturity. And here was the idea of hospitality. It it was always connected to your home. It was this idea that I'm going to open up the doors to my home and I'm going to welcome in guests and strangers. But I'm going to love them in this over-the-top way. And I'm going to wash their feet and I'm going to prepare a meal for them and they're going to have a warm place to stay. And the mark of an elder was just that. He didn't have this secretive life where he was just closed off to the world, but he opened his home up and he opened up everything to the people around him. Well, where did, where did they get this idea? Well, they got it from Jesus. Jesus practiced hospitality more so than anyone, and he didn't even have a house to invite people into. He invited himself to other people's houses. And do you know, hospitality was one of the things that got Jesus into so much trouble. Look at this in Luke chapter 15. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So I want to take a moment and just kind of make a distinction. 
and kind of clarify, what does it mean to love the stranger? Because I think this keeps maybe some of us at a distance from loving the strangers around us, the people that are different than us. Because we have this idea of, okay, what does that mean? If I invite them over to my house, what, what am I saying and what am I not saying if I don't agree with someone? Well, I'd say to love the stranger, does it mean to associate with? I think Jesus here shows us that, that to love and to be hospitable to someone, you're going to have to be in close proximity. You're going to have to rub shoulders. You're going to have to be in conversation with them. So associate, yes. What about accept? Accept the stranger? I think we see that here too, and that's the distinction that the Pharisees make, is that he not only associates, but he even eats with them. And you see, that's a really big deal in ancient Near East. To sit down to share a meal with someone was a token of acceptance. So what Jesus was doing with these people that were very different from him and believed very different things than him was he associating and he was accepting. But I think here's the line where everyone gets a little tense is affirming. That if I welcome someone in that is different than me, or if I welcome someone in that doesn't believe what I believe, does that mean that I affirm everything about them? To love them, does that mean that I have to affirm everything? And I think the easy answer is no. We don't see that with Jesus. We see that he associates, we see that he accepts, we see that he shares meals, but he always invites them into a better way. And when you're loving the stranger, when you're inviting them into your home, do not believe the lie that to love them, you have to affirm everything about them. The people in your life right now that you love the most, you don't affirm everything about them. So what it is, it's to create this space in our homes where we welcome in the stranger, where we see them, we hear them, we love them. And here's the only thing I need to affirm. I don't need to affirm your politics. I don't need to affirm your beliefs. I don't need to affirm... This is what I'm going to affirm. I'm going to affirm that you were made in the image of God. And because of that, you deserve dignity and love and kindness. Because of that, you have a spot at my table. That's what it means to love the stranger. And the, one of the ways that we're going to stay connected in this series, as we kind of work through these different lenses to see our Christian mission, we're going to study through kind of Paul's road trips in the book of Acts. And so each week we're going to see Paul at a different city working through different things. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 13. But here's the thing. Even if you've read this before, what I want you to see today is through the lens of hospitality. I want you to see that the response to people coming to believe Jesus is over and over again hospitality that they begin to love strangers and open up their homes to them. So take a look at this, starting in verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some, some women who had gathered there. And one of them was Lydia. And Lydia, I mean, she's doing very well. She is a merchant of expensive purple cloth. She is a boss who worshiped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household. And she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. I want you to think about this. There's this woman who's going down by the river. She is 
curious about God, but she doesn't have a specific way of seeing him. And then Paul and Silas come down to this river and they share with her the gospel. They tell her about Jesus and all that he's done and the relationship that he wants with her. And in a moment, she believes. And in a moment, her life changes. And not only her, she gets baptized, her whole household gets baptized. But then did you notice her response? If this is true, and if you see me as this, then come to my house and be our guest. Like she immediately goes beauty and the beast style, right? Like be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie a napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we shall do the rest. I don't know why I did that. Um, opens up her home to these two men that she just, re- just met on the side of a river. And she feeds them and she welcomes them and they stay. Do you, do you see the connection between God's opened up his home to me and his heart to me? Now my natural response is to open up my home to others. And then Paul and Silas, they continue running this same play. They go back down to this river, but the next day when they try to do this, there's this demon-possessed girl who's there. And she begins shouting at Paul and Silas. And you see this girl, she was um, enslaved by, this, by, these, by these guys and they were exploiting her because part of it was this demon allowed her to have these supernatural gifts where she could tell fortunes and she could tell people their future and they were making a whole bunch of money off of her. That is until she meets Paul. And Paul gets so frustrated with it, he turns in, in, a, in a phrase by the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, he casts out this demon and she is healed. And you would think everyone would cheer. You would think everyone would throw a party, but they do not throw a party. It is actually the opposite. They form a mob and word gets around and they begin to beat Paul and Silas with sticks. And they beat, severely beat them and throw them into prison where they are sitting in the middle of the night, bruised and probably blood still stuck to their faces. Imagine what you would be like in that situation. Hospitality would probably be the furthest thing from your mind. But I want you to see the place that Paul and Silas were in. It says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. What? They're beaten half to death. They're in this prison, chained up, but yet they are worshiping. And as I was reading this, I was convicted. And I wanted to share this conviction with you too. Because I think a lot of times when we think of hospitality, or we think about inviting people into a place where they can experience the love of God, it's always in our next season. It's always when our circumstances change or when we get a bigger house or when I graduate from high school or when I get out of college or whatever the circumstance may be. And I just want to ask, are you wishing away a season that God wants you to worship through? Because you see, our hospitality is not dependent on a circumstance. Paul and Silas didn't wait to get out of prison before they started making this even a prison cell hospitable to a place where people could experience the love of God. And did you catch that? The other prisoners were listening. So I think somebody needs to hear that today, that the circumstance you're in, it may not be a prison cell. But God's calling you to bring hospitality to it. God's calling you to worship through it, not wait for it to be over. So that lunch table, you can make it hospitable. That choir, that band, that sports team, your workplace right now, 
I just want you to see this, that other people are watching. And the way that you live and the way that you love and the way that you welcome in strangers could be the thing that brings them face to face with Jesus. And then look at this. Keep reading. As they're, they're singing and listening, suddenly... There was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer's going to kill himself because if these prisoners are gone, he's going to be killed. It's a high honor, shame culture. And if he would have messed up here, he would have been dead. So he's thinking, I'm just going to do it myself. But before he does, Paul yells out from the darkness. And I want you to think about this. Think about the jailer. There's no way in his mind, if every chain has fallen, the doors are wide open, there's no way those people are still waiting in there when they could leave. But Paul is. And we see that his hospitality had not run its course yet, that he still had more work to do with God. And look at the jailer's response. It says, the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, re they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in the household. Even at that hour, middle of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. I want you to think about this again. This jailer, middle of the night, is not thinking in a million years this earthquake is going to come. He's not thinking in a million years that this regular, ordinary job is going to leave to the life-changing gospel. But in a moment, through their hospitality, even when they were on the other side in prison, they're able to reach this man with the love of God. And he responds. He gets baptized. His whole house is baptized. And did you notice his response? It's the same as Lydia's. He opens up his home to them. And as he was spiritually washed, he was baptized. What does he do? He begins to physically wash the wounds of these people that he just met. And then he calls and he opens up a dinner for them. In the middle of the night, he prepares a feast for them, extending this hospitality to them. Because he's received the love of God, now he can't help but share it with other people. Do you see this? Hospitality is the natural response to a supernatural act of love from God. And I just want to close with one thing. Brings it all full, full circle in verse 40. It says, when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. And there they met with the believers. So now it's growing. Words got out. Healings, prison, earthquakes, everything's going. People are wanting to know about this gospel. They want to know about this kind of love. And there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. And I love to think about this. Lydia's house, which just became a thing to the Christian world, that she invites in Paul and Silas and prepares food for them and lets them stay. And then now very quickly, what a lot, a lot of people believe that her 
house became the first church in the city. And then not only she is there and the people of her household, and not now this jailer in, in his household, and it doesn't say specifically, but I like to think that that demon-possessed girl that has now been freed from a demon, but her life is completely shifted and she has nowhere to go, she shows up to the doorstep of this house and as she is welcomed in with the love of God as a stranger. And these people that should have no reason to be together are meeting together in this house. Think about how beautiful that is. And that's the picture of the church. When we take the hospitality of God and we apply it to our lives, it brings together the most unexpected characters into the family of God. So what do we do with that? And here's, here, here's the thing. Let God use your home. I think you may be in a season right now for one reason or another where to you, your house has become like a lot of things. It's become like a safe haven for you. It's become a retreat for you. You go out into the world, you do those things, and then you come back and your house is yours. And the garage door closes before you have a conversation with anyone around you. Or you walk through your apartment door and then you go straight to your place and shut the door and you don't even know the neighbors around you. What I would challenge you with in this season is like, what would it look like to practice hospitality and to let God use your house? To welcome in the stranger, to welcome in the people that you've been meaning to meet and get to know for a long time now. And what do you do? It, don't overcomplicate it. I love the way author Rosaria Butterfield talks about hospitality. She says, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. What would that look like? To be able to just invite people into your house and they don't have to look like you, they don't have to act like you, they don't have to vote like you, they don't have to be Christians like you, but I'm gonna welcome them in. Most people, you, it would change their life to be seen, heard, and loved. And that is something all of us can do, no matter the space that we have. And what, what, do we, what do we talk about? And here's the thing, don't overcomplicate it. You are not a counselor, a social worker, a spiritual mentor. This is not a project that you're working on. This is a person you are getting to know and love. Here's one question that will give you the whole night to talk about. Would you be up for telling me your story? Tell me how you, tell me how you grew up. Tell me what you do. Tell me how you got here. Tell me how you ended up next door to me. See, Rosaria Butterfield also has another line where she says that God never gets the address wrong. I want you to think about that. What if the person that you share a wall with or share a, a yard with, what if it's not just happenstance? But what if God has a plan for you to reach the people around you? What if God didn't get the address wrong? And what if your hospitality is going to be the thing that brings them face to face with Jesus? And I want to give you a prayer, a prayer that you can pray starting today. But I'm telling you, it's one of those ones. You've heard about these. These are the prayers that God answers. You can be sure of that. And here's the prayer. If you're, if you're ready and you're bold enough to pray it. Father, how can I use the house you've given me? to love the strangers you've sent me. Because if God didn't get that address wrong, what would it look like for me and you to bring the hospitality of Jesus to those around us?
And here's, here's really the core of what hospitality is. If we would begin to look at the spaces we have, whether that's an apartment or a house, it is a gift from God. Everything that you have. And that means that it's not ours, but it was given to us as a gift. And God has some very specific ways in which he wants us to use it. But what if we could begin to see this as a good thing that was not just meant for us, but it was meant for us to share with the world, to share with strangers. That we could open up our doors and open up our tables or create space around a fire pit where people could be known, seen, and loved. When we would realize the good things that we have are best when we get to share them with others. You know, I have a bunch of kids, and I talk about this a lot because there's so many of them. But I have four kids, Campbell, Reese, Veda, and Holland. And there's something unique about every single one of them. But I'll tell you what really just like warms my heart when I think about Veda is just the way that she sees the world, the, the, the way, like, for example, I could leave right after this. I could go pick her up from kids' ministry, just me and her. And I could say, hey, babe, what do you say we hop in the truck and we go to Starbucks and I get you a cake pop? She would lose her mind. She would be so excited to go and to get a cake pop. But here's what I know about Veda. Before we got to Starbucks, she would say, Dad, do you think we can get one for Campbell and Reese too? And if, if I could try to capture what hospitality is, the Jesus version of hospitality is, is when God gives us something good to say, hey, do you think I could share this with them? It's when everything begins to come together. So what would it look like to get, let God use your home? And then here's the second one. Let God use you at his house. And that's what these cards are all about as you walked in today. God's house, it's talking about his church. It's talking about what would it look like to let God use you in this space, to join a serving team. And this paper, it's pretty simple. It's just your name, information, and there's a handful of serving options on the bottom. And those are unique to you, and we can have a conversation about what that would look like. But here's the thing that I want to put in front of you and be very clear about. No matter where you serve or how you serve, hospitality is at the root of it. Whether you serve in kids' ministry, in youth ministry, guest experience, worship, you do a thing, but the thing underneath the thing is hospitality. Because here's the truth. People flood through our campuses every single Sunday. Strangers. People that don't know God. And people that it takes so much courage for them to walk through that door. I remember being one of those people, wondering every step, am I going to be is anybody going to associate with me? Is anybody going to accept me when I walk through these doors? Does anybody even want me to be here? And when we serve, we get to answer that question, yes. That we get to love people and see them and hear them and to serve them in really unique ways, in ways that they remember, ways that they go from here without a shadow of a doubt, knowing that there's not only a God that loves them, there's a church that loves them and has their back and wants what's best for them. And I also know that there's some people, maybe you've been serving for a little while now, and you're starting to wonder, does it really matter what I do? And you've started to reduce it to, I just do this, or I just stand by this door, or I just lead this group, or I just stand. Any serving position can be as big or as small as you make it. 
And I can tell you, any role within the church is not made to be small, and it's not meant for you to play small or to fit in or to create a space where you can just show up. It is to be fully present and to love the person on the other side of you. And I want to challenge you with this. It's this concept of unreasonable hospitality. Unreasonable hospitality. And I came into contact with this phrase a couple months ago um, from a guy named Will. And he wrote a book with the same title. And he's coined this phrase. And Will oversaw a fine dining restaurant in New York City. It's one of the best restaurants in the country. But Paul, I mean, Will talks about this transformation that happened at their restaurant where they went from a good fine dining restaurant to the number one restaurant in the world. Not in New York City, not in the country, but in the world. And the way that they got to that number one spot is not how you may think. It wasn't just because they had amazing food. Everyone had amazing food. The difference maker was their hospitality. Loving the stranger, loving people that were just coming in off the street in really unique ways, in ways that they received it, in ways that it meant something to them. And it all started one night where he's walking around and he's working the front of the house and he's going from table to table, checking on people. And he hears this conversation happening at a table. And it's a group of foodies. And they've flown into New York City. One thing that they were doing, eating as much good food as they possibly could. And they had their list of all the top restaurants and Will's restaurant was their last restaurant. And they talked about how amazing it's been and how they can't believe they got to eat so much good food. But the one thing that they didn't get to try while they were in New York City was a street hot dog. A hot dog from like a vendor, like a little cheap $2 hot dog sitting in hot dog water. Like they were talking about, that's the only thing we missed. He hears this conversation happening, doesn't even mention it, walks to the back to the kitchen, busts through the door, runs out the back, runs down the corner to the nearest hot dog vendor and gets a couple of hot dogs. Brings it back to the kitchen, takes it to the chef, one of the best chefs in the world, and says, hey, I need you to plate these. He says, absolutely not. <laughs> and he explains to him the situation of what's going on. He reluctantly agrees and he chops up these hot dogs in really fine pieces and sets them up beautifully on a plate and a little dash of ketchup and mustard and relish. And then he brings this out to them, this table, unexpected. They have no idea what's about to come. And he sits down the table and he says, hey, I just want to make sure that all of your dreams come true on your trip to New York City. Here is a street hot dog. The table loses their mind. He said, I've given expensive champagne on the house. I've given, you know, whatever, fish, uh, caviar. Yeah, I've done it all. Obviously, I eat a lot of caviar. Um, <laughs> Nothing brought that kind of response from a $2 hot dog. So once again, serving hospitality is not about perfect. It's not about over the top. It's not even about expensive. It's about seeing people, hearing them, and loving them. And so what I want to ask you in this next season, as you join the serving team, or as you continue in this next season of serving, how would your role look different if you practiced hospitality? Unreasonable Ordinary hospitality here at this church where people came in and you didn't just do the thing, but you saw them and you connected with them and you loved them and you truly made this feel like a home to them. What could that look like in your, diff your different worlds? And the challenge is to fill this out. Fill it out before you leave. And at every campus in the lobby, we have these banners, join the team. 
And our team would love to meet you, have a conversation, talk about, answer any questions you might be holding on to of like, what does that look like to serve? Um, Any of that. We have people that would love to have that conversation with you. Please don't leave here without talking with someone. And I also know there's some people in the room today, this is new to you. And the idea of welcoming people into your home, the idea of not only communicating to strangers, but letting them come into your house, preparing a meal for them, serving them in over-the-top ways, that doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't compute. And I'm telling you, the kind of hospitality that I'm talking about only makes sense in light of the gospel. That we will never come to this place of fully offering ourselves, our homes, and everything to love the strangers until we come face to face with the gospel. And if you're here for the first time, I want you to hear this. This is the good news, and it's all centered around Jesus and the hospitality that he practiced with me and you. Here's what we believe, that you were made in the image of God, that God made you, but sin has corrupted this world. It has distorted things, and it has distanced you from him. And Jesus was not okay with that. God was not okay with that. So he sent his only son here to live the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life. And that he went to a cross for me and you. And he died the death that me and you deserved. But he overcame. He defeated death. And he defeated sin to create a space where now me and you, broken, flawed sinners, can be welcomed into the family of God. No longer strangers but family to God. This is what Jesus offers. Jesus was the ultimate host. You look back at his teachings and the way he did things. He came to seek and to save the lost, the strangers, the foreigners, the ones that were on the outside. And how did he do it? He came eating and drinking. Is that not a plan you can get behind? Does that not sound like the best life ever? Good meals sitting around a table or a fire and watching people move from strangers to family? This is the call that has been put on all of our lives. And this is the response that we have. That God would become homeless, leave heaven so that me and you could have an eternal home. That God would come and serve humanity. God would wash their feet. God would turn to us and say, hey, I'm going where? To prepare a house and a room for you. Jesus is the ultimate, ultimate example of hospitality. And so what do we do? We respond. Our response is the same as the jailer. Do you remember? What do I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. At every campus, we're going to have people at the front of the stage that would love to meet with you, pray with you, talk about what it looks like to receive the hospitality of God, to receive his love, and to move today from a stranger to family of God. And for all of us, followers of Jesus, what we're going to do to close things out today is finished by taking communion. And as I was studying this week, there was a commentary I was reading and he made, he drew this correlation between the sacraments and hospitality. Sacraments, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about baptism, we're talking about communion, but what are they really? It's, it's water, it's wine or juice and bread. They're just normal things until you dedicate them to the Lord and then everything changes. So as we take communion today, I want you to think about the hospitality of Jesus, what it took to welcome you into his home and what he's convicting and calling you to in this season.
and to make that connection. What would my house look like if I dedicated it to the Lord? So if you would, go ahead and open it up and take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was broken on our behalf. And through that breaking, he has welcomed us in, invited us into a relationship with him. And remember, take the juice which represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me and you and now through that sacrifice we are sons and daughters children of the most high God and chosen trusted to be ambassadors trusted to open up our homes and welcome people in just as we have been welcomed in So as you take the juice, remember the sacrifice that was made for you. And what I would ask now is that everyone at all of our campuses, if you would just stand to your feet. We're gonna close in worship, but I just want to encourage you that this is the first stop on our summer road trip and to really wrestle with what would it look like in this season to practice biblical hospitality. Would you pray with us? Father, we can only begin to comprehend this kind of hospitality, a kind of hospitality that is just over the top, the kind of hospitality that would move you from heaven to earth, that would take you to a cross, that you would remove every single barrier so that we could come to know you. God, in your spirit, God, I pray you could show us what would it look like to let you use our homes and God, what would it look like for you to use us in your house, your church? What would it look like to practice unreasonable hospitality? What would it look like to get to see people move from strangers to family? What would it look like to truly see, hear, and love people? God, help us to do that. God, take away any of our fears, take away of any of the lies that we're just not that good of people or we don't have the space. God, don't let us wish away another day or season believing that it'll just be when the right circumstance is coming. But God, your hospitality is bigger. Your love is bigger. God, you can bridge together anything, but God, help us to be mindful and to truly see and to love those around us. God, help us to be known by your love and your hospitality. And Father, we believe that through obedience to you and by the power of your spirit, we will see revival. We will see this city come to know you. We will see this world one by one come to know you. Let this be that place where strangers become family. Father, we love you. It's in your perfect and holy name we pray. Amen.